Well, uh, as I was quick to do last week, uh, a little ahead of time, if you are a veteran in the room, would you please uh, stand amongst us, please? Let us recognize you. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for your service. It should not be, be lost on us that we get together in this room without any kind of fear for the, how loud we sing the name of Jesus because of men and women who, who protect our rights to do so. So thank you very, very much uh, in your service to do that. And we know that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are in countries where they don't have those freedoms and they don't have those rights. And today as they gather, they whisper the name of Jesus out of fear. And we don't have to do that. And so thank you. Thank you for your service uh, in that. Um, I, I was reflecting over Veterans Day and, and, and my own life. And if if you've heard me talk about my story, my dad left our family when I was 13. Uh, he and I have a relationship now, but in that season of my teenage years, he was he was really gone in in many ways. And 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 that development season, it was, there was no real male figure there, uh, other than a, a couple of friendships at church. And um, when I got to college, I, I started youth pastoring at at about 19. And I was in a couple of churches there, started as a youth pastor, and then went on to be a lead pastor at a tiny little church in, in Chilton, and then a, a little bit bigger church uh, in, in Waco. And I was just reflecting on that time period from about age 19 to about age 27, um, and where I got married, had my kids, and the most formative men that God put in my life in each of those churches. In Robinson, where I first started, it was Papa Bill. And Papa Bill was a character. He was, like, he was in his 70s, and uh, he would do anything for anybody. He loved going to youth camp with us as a youth group, and he would bring earplugs because the music was too loud. Uh, and, but he would serve like crazy. And I learned so much from Papa Bill about what it looked like to be a godly husband. Papa Bill was in the Army. He was a veteran. I went out to my first little church in, in, in Chilton where I was a pastor. And my job description at that tiny little country church was literally this. Preach on Sunday mornings and play dominoes with the senior adults on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That was my entire job description. And I loved it. So every Tuesday and Thursday, I got together with the senior adults. And amongst them were two World War II vets in their 90s. One Army, one Navy. Uh, and they were best friends. That's kind of funny. Um, and we, I would sit on their front porch and play dominoes and drink sweet tea. And both of those men would just tell stories, and it, it poured into my life. Had my first kid there and watched both of them uh, uh, just bounce Mason off of their knee. I went from there to a church in Waco, and there I had another pawpaw. His name was Kenny. And, and he was a servant to his core and would just break his back for any, anybody, and he was an Army veteran. And I, I, have, I was thinking today, and it never really has dawned on me, that each of those men that played such a pivotal role in my young man life, where I, I needed in for me examples and people to pour into me about integrity and what a godly husband looks like and what it looked like to serve, I needed that example that God chose men in each of those church to play that role for me, and all of them happened to be veterans. And I don't think that was by accident on God's part. I think he knew that he wanted to weave into my soul what those veterans 
veterans have to offer. So veterans, thank you so much. And I tell you, don't stop leaning down into the younger generation. We need you and we need what you have to offer. So thank you so much for what you do. Uh, I do want to let you know that one of, one of our, our new friends here at Paseo, she will be set up. You still set up after second service? She has little gifts of, of little stars that come from retired flags for each of, each of the veterans here. So if you want to swing by the hub afterwards, you can get a little gift from her uh, and as she gives that on. So, all right, as we, as we continue on in our series, we're looking at, I've been looking at the last several weeks of the story of Stephen, talking about a life of someone that made an indelible mark on those around him. Stephen made a huge mark on the people around him. He's just a normal guy in the church. He's a follower of Jesus. And yet Stephen will go on, and we're going to read it this morning. He becomes the first martyr in the church and, and, and suffers mightily because of that. But the, the repercussions of his life are felt in church for generations to generations beyond that. And so this morning, we're going to, we're going to put an end to our study of, of Acts for a time. As we close out chapter 7 of Acts, we will come back. We're going to be in a, in a Thanksgiving series the next couple weeks. Then we get into Advent and the Christmas season, and then we're going to start January in the gospel. We'll come back to Acts in, in about February. So we're going to take about a, a three-month break here uh, from the book of Acts. But we're going to finish it out studying how Stephen's life comes to an end and what that does within the church. So if you have a Bible, if you would turn with me to chapter 7 of Acts. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. Open one of those up. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home. That's our gift to you. Starting in, in, in verse 54 of chapter 7. I'll just read these and we'll say a quick prayer and start in our study this morning. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, that needs to sink, sink in. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning already in worship, already in gratitude, Father, now we come wanting to learn from you. And so, Spirit, we just pray that as we open up Scripture, that you would do what only you can do in this room, that you'd help us be more connected and more in love with you and more obedient than when we came in. We give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is, this is a powerful story, and it's a, it's a tragic one. Stephen is the first martyr uh, of many, particularly during that season, but he's the first martyr uh, of the church. And if you'll remember, we, we started a couple weeks ago, and, and Stephen was just sharing the gospel in, in the marketplace, and, and so he is arrested and dragged before the, the council, the Sanhedrin, and he's put on trial, and, and he, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't back down, and he preaches a powerful message to the Sanhedrin. 
Sanhedrin, we studied it the past couple of weeks. He ended with what we studied last week when he looks at the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, and he says, you are stiff-necked people and you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Shh. They did not like that. And then he, he let them know that they also killed the Son of God. They did not like that. And so what we come into is the aftermath during that time. And it says that the members of the Sanhedrin, having heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I just want to walk through the elements of this story, and then we'll see how it applies to us. It says that they were furious. The actual Greek, and they were furious, but the actual Greek there says that they were cut to the heart, meaning they, they were convicted. And so they were furious because Stephen pointed out their sin and they were convicted down to their core. And, and many of us knows what that feels like, and like when that, the spotlight of God is turned inward. And many people will, will not come back to church because they say they're judgmental. And the funny thing is, it wasn't because the people were judgmental. It's because oftentimes when our sin is highlighted by the Spirit of God, it is highly uncomfortable, Right? And so it is with them. They were cut to the heart. And true to form, he just got through saying that they always resist the Holy Spirit. And guess what they do when they're convicted? They resist the Holy Spirit. So, so they, they begin, it says, gnashing their teeth at him, which is a weird Jewish phrase, right? They're gnashing their teeth. Do you know where elsewhere that phrase is used in the New Testament? Jesus uses it in reference to hell itself, saying there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Luke chooses those words purposefully. He's saying these religious folk are acting hellaciously because in the name of God, they are not following the things of God, which is true of any time where religion takes on the name of God. They're capable, we are capable of doing much harm in this world and have done much harm in this world when we stop following God. They're acting hellaciously. Compare that to Stephen, this normal everyday guy. It says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen looks up into heaven, and God gives Stephen a gift. Gives him a gift. He looks up, and, and it says that Jesus peels back the curtains of heaven, and Stephen looks in, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which is a gift to all believers that one day, if you are in Christ, we will all get to see that, but that happens on the other side of death. This, for Stephen, is happening on this side of death. And it's as if Jesus is giving a gift to Stephen. He knows this is going to be hard. And I don't know if you've ever been with your kids as they have like a shot or they have to endure some type of surgery or some medical thing and they're scared to death and you just tell them, hey, look at me. Just focus on me. We can get through this. You're going to be okay. It's as if Jesus is capturing Stephen's attention before the pain comes, knowing exactly what's going to be happening, just focus on me. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. But here's what's interesting about it. It says that Jesus is standing. Stephen sees him standing at the right hand of God. Do you know everywhere else where it mentions that Jesus is at the right hand of God, it says that he's sitting at the right hand of God? This is one of the only places where it says he's standing at the right hand of God. That's interesting. Com- commentaries were, were, gave, gave some focus to that. And one of their theories is that Jesus is standing for the one that stood up for him, which is a neat thought. That he's honoring Stephen there in that moment. And he's, he's giving service there to Stephen. Either way, Stephen is, is filled with just awe. And it says that he looks up and it says, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And true to form, When they hear the name of Jesus, 
And here that Stephen is claiming that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is in that position. The Sanhedrin cover their ears, and they act like little children. La, 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 la. They cover their ears. They rush Stephen, it says. By the way, the word rush, the other time that that's used in the New Testament, is when Jesus casts out the demons into pigs, and they rush off the banks. Do you remember that? That's, that's the other word. So again, Luke is using demonic language to describe the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. And they rush towards Stephen. They grab him. They drag him out, and then they begin to murder him, stoning him. And as they are stoning him, and this is amazing, as the stones are pelting him, he repeat, repeats for himself two prayers that Jesus prayed on the cross. Lord, I commit my spirit up to you, Lord Jesus. And then here's the amazing one. And Lord, please don't hold this sin against them. Can you imagine that? That as you were being hurt, as you were being murdered to pray for the murderer, Lord, don't hold this against them. Let's talk about forgiveness and step on all of our toes real quick in one fell swoop, shall we? We know we're supposed to forgive, right? We get that. But here's the pattern of how we're willing to forgive if we're honest, right? The pattern of how we're willing to forgive is if you hurt me, and you come and ask for forgiveness, and I feel that you actually mean it, and you've paid some level of penance, right, that I think, that I think you, you, you know, you've suffered a little bit, then I'll forgive you, and even if I forgive you, I'm still kind of ticked at you, and so, like, like you got to keep your distance. Is that honest? Yeah. And we go, hey, I'm a forgiver. Look at me. I'm good. I'm gracious. And then you have Stephen's pattern. And Stephen's pattern, did they ask for forgiveness? No. Stephen's pattern is this. He is filled with Jesus, and he forgives like Jesus. That as they are persecuting him, he is wanting what's best for his persecutors. Can we just say that's a high bar? Can we confess that? Like that's a high bar. But the Holy Spirit that's in Stephen, enabling him to forgive on that level, is inside of you and I as well. And what we need to see is something amazing happens in this moment when Stephen prays with the prayer of Jesus for forgiveness. Because amidst all of that, it says there's a young man observing this. A part of the Sanhedrin, a young Pharisee by the name of Saul. And the witnesses there come and they put their coats down before him. Saul, in two chapters from now, in chapter 9, we'll study it when we get back into it, becomes Paul. He becomes a believer. He becomes the greatest missionary in Christian history and catapults all of Christianity into the Greek world and writes the second half of the New Testament. At this point, he's none of that. He is a Sanhedrin member who is cheering on the murder of Stephen and overhearing Stephen's prayer. He hears this young man cry out, God, do not hold their sin against them. Augustine wrote this about this moment. He said, if we never had Stephen's prayer, we may have never had Paul's ministry. That's beautiful. You never know what the level and ramifications of undeserved forgiveness could be. And so Stephen responds. And Saul is sitting there watching. And I wonder if this moment isn't in his mind when later he'll write to Timothy and say, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus loves sinners of whom I am chief. 
I am the worst. I wonder if he is not remembering of this time of, I cheered on the murder of his saint. And this ought to be encouraging to each of us. Because at the core of this is the message that nobody is too far gone. That we tend to write people off of saying, oh, they'll never come. They'll never turn their life around. They'll never. And maybe you are of the ilk that has written your own self off of, I have this guilt. I have done these things. Christ could never love me. And may you see the truth of Scripture laid out before you. Nobody fits that category because Christ died for sinners. And that's all of us. We're all sinners. And then nobody. And by the way, Maybe it's not you that you have in that category. Maybe it's somebody in your life. And I want you to see how Stephen's forgiveness led to that person turning their life to Jesus. It's a powerful ramification. And so maybe there's something in your life in all of that. For now, we see the story played out before us. Here in a, in a couple weeks when we, and on the 24th, we'll have the, the worship in the round for Thanksgiving Sunday. And, and it's, it's, it's an awesome service. It is really, really cool. We have, we have this big, gigantic dining room table that goes down the middle of here. We have just mounds of, of bread and, and, and the grape juice for communion there. And all the chairs aren't facing the stage, they're facing inward. And we just worship together and you hear everybody's worship. It's beautiful. And then we pass a mic around and we just have uh, testimonies of Thanksgiving and gratitude attitude of what God has done in your life this year. It's an awesome, beautiful service if you haven't been with us yet for one of them. Uh, It's one of the best services of the year. Um, And by the way, uh, we're doing two services this year. In the past, we've only done one, but I think we'll be too crowded to do just one, so we'll have that for two services. So be aware. Also, with that, children will be, the older children will be in here, uh, which which is just an awesome time. Because uh, last year we passed around, and was it was it Addie that spoke on on the mic last year and said what she was thankful for for Libby? Yeah, I love that, and and just a sweet sweet time. And so you'll hear that, and they're they're a part of it. Um, but afterwards, uh, I I am because of my eye, I can no longer uh, fly to Texas uh, right now for Thanksgiving. And my mom made it blatantly clear clear that I will be in Texas for Thanksgiving. And so, like any obedient son, I said yes, ma'am. And we had already bought tickets for my family to fly out there, so I'm driving to Texas. So immediately after that service, I'm getting in a car and I'm driving to Texas. My sister's flying in. She's road tripping with me out there. We're going to have a good time. A little short drive to Dallas from here. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I will, I will do Thanksgiving there, and then on Friday, my oldest son uh, and I will road trip back, and so we are going to make a, 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 a trip out of it. We're going to go down to the Big Bend National Park, do some camping there, uh, come out of there, and so this week, we sat down at a coffee shop with the map, and, and, uh, and you know, we're on, on the iPad, and we got Google helping us out. We're looking at the routes and everywhere we can go, and I just started giggling, thinking, this kid will never know the joy of a Rand McNally Atlas and a highlighter, right? Like, you guys. <laughs> remember those days of uh, we're going right down here Google is cheating for do you remember the pressure of being the one who's the navigator in the passenger seat and you're like exit now I think I think no I don't know that's big he'll never know that joy instead now we get Google to turn left okay um but and I bring that up I bring that up to say this I want to end this whole series in Acts with, with a bit of a map laid out for us here and in the New Testament about the direction of salvation, of what a, a saved person's life looks like and the direction of it, because you see all the elements of that, of that map at play here. 
And so I'm just going to walk through this in a way of helping us wrap our mind around the gospel and what's at play here. It starts first with, with hearing. It starts with hearing. Romans uh, 10 says this, Paul writes this, that, that consequently faith comes from hearing the message, meaning hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. That, that faith comes first from hearing the gospel. That, that that's, that's where, where it begins. And what's interesting, Paul himself, who wrote this, as we talked about, he'll, he'll have his salvation in Acts chapter 9. He first heard the gospel way back in Acts chapter after two and three when Peter preached it. And it took Peter preaching, it took John preaching, it took Stephen preaching, and he killed Stephen for preaching it. And still eventually he came to Christ when Jesus finally preached it to him. But he had heard the gospel all those moments and finally it, it, it got to him and it, and it came about. So, so faith starts first with hearing the gospel, which is, by the way, why it's so important, important not to shy away from Jesus' conversations with your friends, not to shy away from Jesus' conversations with your family, not to shy away to invite people to church that they might hear. And it's also why we bear the responsibility to put funds to send missionaries to places in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, right? That they might hear and be saved because faith first starts with hearing the gospel, hearing the message. And the next step on this journey is believing. It's believing. The message of the gospel is clear. That there's a creator, that he created you and I, he created the world. It has design behind it. It has purpose behind it. We were created to live in relationship with him, but that sin has wrecked that all. And you have sin, and I have sin, and it separates us from God. And so the reason why we all feel like life is not as it should be is because it's not. Because sin has completely wrecked that, and our guilt separates us from God. But God loved us so much that he sent a solution, and that solution's name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus took on the guilt of all of mankind on the cross, and that whoever would receive him as Savior would have that penalty paid for. And now we can have life with God connected back with him through Jesus Christ. That in that there is new life, there is new beginning, the shame and guilt of our mistakes, the the addictions that we hold on to, the relationships that we need newness in, we get new community, we get new perspective, we get get new purpose, that, that life changes around Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel, and it's beautiful. But you got to believe it. You got to believe it. Ecclesiastes 3 says that that God has placed a piece of eternity in everyone, but mankind has not understood it. I love that verse. You want to know why every, every people group ever that has ever lived has had religion? You ever thought about this? There's never been a people group in any place and in the world that didn't have some form of religion. Why? Because every person created had some piece of eternity inside of them. Going, I know there's something out there. I know it is. And, and, and I just want to connect with that. What is that? And before Jesus, we had no ability to connect with that. But Jesus is the fullness of God. And suddenly we can connect. And it's why when the name of Jesus is said, we feel that something inside of us buzzing going, yes, this is true. I feel it in my core. I know this is right. I love the stories coming off the mission field of Muslims who are having dreams. They've heard the message of Jesus. They're having dreams of a man in white. If you haven't studied these stories, they're phenomenal coming off of the mission field. They're having dreams of a man in white saying, why are you persecuting? Come to me. 
and the church is growing in Muslim worlds. We don't get to hear it much. Ask the missionaries, right? And they, they go, I know this is true. I was searching for it. I knew there was something more out there. What is this? And it's Jesus. It's powerful stuff. One of my favorite theologians that, that impacted the world in so many ways, C.S. Lewis, with his writings, he, he came to faith later on as an adult. And I like what he said. He said, I finally gave in and admitted God was God. I love that. Because I think all of us feel that within. And there's just two ways to respond to that. See, the, the Sanhedrin showed one of the ways. One of the ways you respond to that when that unsettled feeling is in there is you could go la, 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 and run away, right? And separate yourself as far away from the message as possible because it's too inconvenient of all the things you might have to change if Jesus actually is real, right? And so that's one of the responses. The problem is all the brokenness and stuff you want to change are found in the changes that Jesus brings. <laughs> and so the other way to respond to it is to give in to it. And you believe, and you embrace this. Here's what, what Paul says about belief. He says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's called getting over the hump of going, okay, I give in. Jesus, Jesus you are real. You are the Savior. You all have been risen from the dead. I believe you are Lord. And then the next stop on this journey of hearing the gospel to now believing is that once you believe, now you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I love it. It says that Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens is, is the moment that you believe, Scripture says we're adopted in the family of God. That now you become a child of God. That's your identity. Here's, here's what Paul says in Galatians about that moment. He says, because you are his sons or our children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So, so when you become a child of God, he sends his spirit of his son into your life. And the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That's awesome stuff. That is awesome stuff. He has made you his heir. And so you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This is, this is mind-boggling to me because if we're honest, and we've talked about this in, throughout the Acts series, particularly in the first part, if we're honest, a lot of us don't get to this point. We hear the gospel. We believe in the gospel. We hear that Jesus died to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, but that gift freaks us out. So we leave it in the box, wrapped up on the shelf. I'll come to that later, right? And so we don't tap into the thing that Jesus gave us to have. Could you imagine giving your kid, I mean, like sacrificing everything you have to give your kids an amazing present for Christmas? And like you, you are so excited to see them rip open into it and they take it, they look at it, they do the shaky thing, you know, and they, they like smell it, do all the, and then they just put it in their room up on the shelf and never open it. And literally, Scripture says God sent his son to die that we might have the gift of the Holy Spirit and live by that. And so, once the indwelling is there, it's on us that this begins to be what we live by, which takes us to the next step in this journey, which is depending. You hear, you believe, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and now the Christian walk is you are depending on the Holy Spirit in your life. It becomes, it becomes how you live. 
It becomes what, what is directing you. Paul will talk about how once you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's like, it's like having you both have the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh, and the flesh desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit. So you have these two voices inside of you. One of you is wanting to do all the stuff you used to do. The other one is wanting to do all the stuff Jesus wants you to do. And it's like having two volume knobs in your soul, right? Every day you got to get up and like, which, which volume am I going to crank up and listen to today? I, I was visiting with one of, one of our friends over Halloween, and our kids were out, out uh, trick-or-treating together. And we were just talking about this, this round of growth groups and the Paseo Pathway. If you don't have a Paseo Pathway, you can swing by the hub and pick one up. In it, there's a Bible reading plan for, for about seven weeks that we're walking through this. And right now, we're studying the book of James. And so it breaks down five days a week. Hey, read these verses and pray around these things. And so that is, for many of us, a new activity. It is, it is a discipline that we go, hey, I don't know. I, I don't, the daily reading stuff, I, I can't be doing that. I have other things I need to be doing. I mean, I believe in Jesus and all, but, but I mean, this is kind of weird to stop every day and pray, or I don't have enough time. You following me? All the excuses we come up with. So why do we do that? Well, it's a discipline. And it's a discipline of slowing your body down, of sitting your body down, and studying Scripture and we're talking like three or four verses in each reading in this reading plan. You, you've got it off easy. Uh, and, and journaling through, praying through what you are reading. You know what happens in that moment? Is by you forcing your busy schedule to stop, you turn down the flesh knob. And that volume turns down. And when you begin to dive into Scripture to listen to God, you turn up the spirit knob. And the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life gets louder. Many of us, do not feel the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life because we don't hear the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life because that volume is all the way down to zero because we never stop to turn it up. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So the walk we depend, you look at, at, at Stephen in this, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is walking. He is, he is guided by the Holy Spirit. What he says to do, he's going to do. That's, that's what guides his life. That should be the Christian walk. And when that happens, a life that, that is filled with faith and the Holy Spirit and depending upon him in obedience, finally you get to the, the journey of seeing. You begin to see God in your life. You look around and you can see the elements of how he's moved in your life. If you ask me, why do I still believe in Jesus? I'd tell you it's because I can't unsee the things that I've seen that God has done. Is that fair for a lot of you? Like I have seen him move. I can't unsee those things. Now, here's the problem. Some of us say that, hey, I will believe if I can see. And Scripture says that, that, that the righteous live by faith, not by sight. And we think that if I could just see Jesus, then I believe Jesus. What makes us think that? The Sanhedrin saw him and they killed him. All right? Don't think no, the, the challenge of even if he's standing before you, it doesn't mean you're going to like his words that he has to say. <laughs> you're not going to like what, he hear, what you hear. Because what he says is, you need me, change your life. I'm dying for your sin. You're a sinner. You need new life in me. And you go, I don't like that. So it's the message of hearing. And hearing leads to faith, and faith leads to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit to depending. And suddenly you have eyes to see that God is moving and the production of that in your life in all kinds of areas. And that's the journey of faith. And here's what I love about about Stephen's journey. And I'll go ahead and call the band up as we, as we begin to step into this ourselves. Here's what I love about Stephen's journey. 
it ends with Stephen looking up and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. And while before he, he would just have seen the movements of God, he got to actually see Jesus. You realize that's our promise? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, now we see in, in part and dim, one day we will see face to face. Can you imagine that day? When Jesus is there and he's standing up as you enter into the room and he says, welcome home. Can you imagine all the, can you say that with confidence that that day is yours? It's not yours by the way you obey. It's yours by faith in Christ. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you are in this journey. I don't know where you are in this journey. We're all somewhere on this scale. And if you're anything like me, messed up, there are times that I'm in the seeing side and there's other times where I'm just trying to hold on to the belief side. Is that, is that fair to say, right? And so I don't know where you're on the scare. You may not be to the belief side and you're still in the hearing thing. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But hear it. And if it's cutting to your core, then ask, why am I not believing? Am I going to respond like the Sanhedrin or am I going to respond with faith? Or maybe you're over here and, and you're feeling the Holy Spirit moving in you, that there's activity that you need to do in your life, there's forgiveness you need to offer, there's, there's mission that you need to be doing, and you're trying your hardest just to ignore that because you don't want to. And you're struggling to see God everywhere else in your life, and it might be because you're not obeying him in the one place where you know he's asking you to do something. So do me a favor, if you'll just bow your head. Um, we're going to just have a time of response and worship together. We're going to sing songs glorifying Jesus Christ. When I, when I was eight years old, I, I was in a little church, a little Baptist church in, in Crockett, Texas, and E.P. Ramsey, my pastor, was, was preaching. And I had heard him preach countless times. But on that morning, he, he gave an invitation, and something changed inside of me. I felt that cut to the heart. So I look over at my friend, Lloyd Wright. He was 10 years old. I was cool. I had an older friend. And he was feeling the same thing. And in those days, in the old Baptist church, you had, when they gave the invitation, you had to get up and walk down the aisle, right? And I hear him give the invitation, and Lloyd and I kind of grab each other, and we just walk down the aisle, and Brother Ramsey just prayed over us, and I, I received Christ that day. Two weeks later, my grandfather came into town and baptized me and gave me a Bible. My Bible's still up in my office. I remember that day. My teenage years were filled with rebellion and stupid stuff, and yet God was faithful and kept calling me back and forgiving me. Is there a moment in your life where you look back and say, I heard it? I believe. For you, it might be a, a series of moments that God has been bringing you to belief. Have you been baptized in that belief? Is it something you have proclaimed? Maybe this morning for you it is the first time. The way we do our invitations are, are kind of open. We're not going to ask you to step and come in front, but we will have some folks in the back of the room that will pray with you. And then outside these doors and around the corner we have a prayer room that if you want to wait and you can go to the prayer room and visit with somebody about Jesus, they would love to, to be with you. What I do know is, is that the Holy Spirit is going to move in this time and he's going to highlight to you where you are in this journey. 
and he's calling you to respond. So let's pray for courage to do that. Father, as we bring you glory and lift up Jesus Christ, as we proclaim what Stephen did when you got to see your glory, that Jesus, you are at the right hand of God. You are who you say you are, God, as we proclaim you and your gospel and your message and give this chance and an invitation for all of us to respond. Father, I am just asking that your Holy Spirit stir in this room and highlight to each of us what that looks like for our life. If today is the day that you're going to move some from unbelief to belief, and maybe they're hearing for the first time, and God, I pray that you do that drastically in their hearts, that they would give in and admit that you are God, pursue them. There are others of us in this room, God, that there's something in our life that that we're hurting over, that we're just needing your healing and need to depend upon you in. Father, I pray you step into that pain. For those that are just sitting here anxious about what life is right now, and there's financial troubles, and there's, there's struggles that they don't know the answer to, Father, I pray that you step into that anxiety. We're just asking, Father, that you do what only you can do. Guide us direct us. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus.